Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It wouldn't be a Sunday or at least a Sunday edition without the uh, now famous welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. I've got a great show ahead. Uh, a couple of um, announcements slash housekeeping. Uh, I have been asked to remind everybody that registration for national convention is open. So if you have not gone to acb.org and hit the convention link or acb.org slash convention, Please uh, head on and get yourself registered. It is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal convention this year. And, you know, I, of course, will promote lots of the affiliates and lots of the programming throughout the month of June. Look forward to speaking with Leslie Spoon and um, Donna Brown, as well as our president and some of the committee chairs. I, of course, will be saying multiple times, 21 programs in the year 21 for 21 years of Blind Pride International. So that is cool. Tomorrow, ACB uh, celebrates the memorial, uh, celebrates Memorial Day with the ACB Family Table Memorial Day picnic. That's from two to four. It will be streamed on the community channel hosted by yours truly and managing director, Debbie Hazelton. We've got some surprises. And after the program ends, we will be running the Star Spangled Banner audio described tour courtesy of the ADP project and uh, Dr. Joel Snyder. That'll be run twice tomorrow as well. And you can learn all about the history of our beloved flag and some other interesting tidbits. It's definitely a tour worth listening to. And before I get to my special guests, I want to say hello to engineer extraordinaire Byron Lee. How you doing, bro? Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? <laughs> Anything interesting to report on the next gen side? Um, yeah, so we are hard at work planning our next um, program. Uh, we do a program every, uh, la- it, it, it is usually um, on Saturday night, and it is usually the um, second to the last Saturday. So uh, it will be this this month. It'll be on the twenty sixth. Uh, so I'm sorry, sorry, the the last Saturday of the month. And um, so it'll be Saturday, the twenty sixth of June. And we are thinking that we're going to try and do something related to Memorial Day, the Fourth of July, um, and the service men and women who uh, serve our country. So we're working hard uh, on securing some panelists that will um, talk about their time in the service, and then we are planning on having a virtual fireworks show and some of that patriotic music. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting program nestled right between Memorial Day and 4th of July. We hope you guys join us. Nice. And if you are a comedy music lover or a comedy music aficionado, uh, there's a program every Sunday night that you should check out. Byron, why don't you tell them a little about 
little bit about Fun Zone and what you got going on tonight. Oh, that's so nice of you to to give us the shout out there. Um, so Sunday nights at seven o'clock, we play comedy, uh, we play novelty music, we play parodies, that sort of thing. And um, you can find out more information about it by going to my website, which is byronlee.com, B-Y-R-O-N, lee.com and this week i think i'm actually going to try and find some songs about the military and, and soldiers and stuff um and so it's kind of going to be a patriotic uh, patriotic month i guess <laughs> and research yeah. for the next gen um events awesome 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 yeah well when you come into acb um and i think you know the listeners out there probably can think back in their memories to when they first got to this great organization, you start hearing all kinds of names. And some of them you hear lots and lots and lots. And, and you're like, okay, that must be a powerhouse person. And I should get to know this one, or I should get to know that one. Well, all four of my guests today are powerhouse, awesome, incredible people. And I am so glad to be returning to the couple show. Later on, we're going to speak with Ron and Lisa Brooks, who have actually been to Sunday Edition before in other capacities, as well as a couple show. But we thought with all they've got going on, it's definitely time to drop back in with them and hear, you know, about their new business, their new adventure. And I am definitely going to press them on some karaoke questions. But um, before we talk to them, I am really, really very happy to welcome Judy and Steve. Byron, before they say hello, will you help me by singing a quick little round of happy anniversary to you. Oh my. Happy anniversary to to you. you. (laughs) Happy anniversary, Judy and Steve. Happy anniversary to To you. you. (laughs) And welcome to Sunday Edition. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We're very lucky. We actually have uh, two anniversaries. Uh, Our New York anniversary uh, is April 10th, and our California anniversary is, in fact, today, May 30th. We had to have two weddings because I came from the East Coast and had uh, all my friends and connections there, and Judy came from the West Coast and had hers there, so... Rather than trying to split the difference and inviting everybody to Nebraska or Iowa, we decided we had to have two weddings. Nice. Well, how are you going to celebrate, like, you know, the big momentous, you know, 30th or 40th? Are you going to fly everyone to Chicago? (laughs) (laughs) The 30th, which is next year, we're going to be celebrating in uh, both places. So we're going to replicate dig out the video and perhaps even we wrote our ceremony we were grown-ups when we got married both in our late 40s so we designed our own ceremony i wrote poems steve wrote something for me and i wrote something for him Um, we read it to each other on our 25th anniversary and we felt it really held up well so we will recreate those and god willing and the creek don't rise and the cato persists I will lose the 10 pounds necessary so that I can actually wear my wedding dress. <laughs> Go, Judy. <laughs> Steve, nice. will, Steve will wear his wedding handkerchief because wearing yeah, the suit right. and maybe my tie if I can find it. Possible. <laughs> <laughs> and tie. He'll wear his he'll wear his wedding handkerchief and tie. <laughs> well, you promised it would be a story, and I'm really glad that uh, that you were able to deliver on that promise. So, two weddings that must have been wow, that must have been hectic. Well, you back. know, it it was great. It, 
we, uh, you know, we had the ceremony all designed. We re- literally, we didn't want just a party in San Francisco. So we actually recreated the entire event, having a good friend stand in for the judge who'd performed the ceremony in New York. Uh, and it was really wonderful to have the entire ceremony, including the poems our friends read and, and so forth. Wow. Yeah, we we didn't want to sell our San Francisco friends and uh, family short. Uh, so we had we had, as you said, the real thing, the whole the whole show. Nice. So let's go back a little bit further. How did Judy and Steve meet? Well, ah, uh, Steve, you start. Okay. I, you'll get the idea that I don't I don't generally let Steve out very often to talk. So I talk all over him. So I'll let him <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Take, I'll take advantage of my opportunity. Uh, it was July 1988, and uh, I w- went to the ACB convention in Little Rock to market my first book, a uh, book called Financing Adaptive Technology. Uh, and uh, I managed to secure uh, a uh, half of a table for one afternoon. Uh, and uh, along came this person who uh, inquired about my book, wanted to know more about it, and wanted to tell me about a fundraising strategy that she had used uh, to uh, get the funds necessary to buy one of the early and very expensive Kurzweil uh, reading machines. Uh, and uh, uh, we got to talking. And one of the questions she asked me that, that stuck in my mind was, uh, yeah, you make any money doing this? So uh, she was interested, obviously, in understanding uh, how I could how I could manage to, uh, to put together a book like this and how I could sustain myself. And we talked about a number of issues, including her very creative, uh, funding strategy for her equipment, which I think Judy might want to talk about in a minute. I wish I'd been there for it. It must be one of the great parties of all time. Uh, and uh, I invited Judy out uh, to breakfast the next day, but she was unfortunately busy. She had a prior commitment, and I was leaving the next day. I had a prior commitment, too. I was out of funds. I couldn't pay for another day. So uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, In other words, we he wasn't her. making any money. I will say this about Steve. <laughs> I will say this. Steve is the, one of the first people I knew who dedicated himself to having people have the, the his book in any format they needed it. And the producing the Braille cost like five times as much as producing a print copy, but he honored every request for a Braille copy of that original book. I did. Wow. I had an open order with Quickscribe. Many of you uh, will remember Quickscribe, Ron and Sue Staley's uh, Braille production uh, comedy. And uh, uh, it cost inordinately more uh, to produce a Braille edition than the print edition. And I had no idea that the demand for the Braille edition would be as great as it was. But as Judy says, uh, it was no question, but that all those requests have to be honored. And I'm very proud because as far as I know, it's the commerce, first commercial book uh, ever published at, at uh, the same price of this print equivalent at the same time as its print equivalent and available on the same basis and in the same time frame. I'm very proud of that. Thank you for reminding me, Judy. Uh, anyway, we left uh, Arkansas uh, with our, uh, each other's phone numbers and promised to call if Judy ever got to New York or if I ever got to San Francisco. Uh, and then long about late 1989, a year later, uh, I heard from a mutual friend uh, that uh, Judy was coming to New York uh, for a visit uh, at Christmas time. So I decided to screw up my courage. I got my pop of Bombay gin. I drank about half of it. And I called Judy up on the phone <laughs> to invite her to get together while she was here. Judy, why don't you pick up from here? Well, um, Steve was very 
he, he never told me, this is very funny because Steve at that time having published his book and having accidentally left his stock market uh, braille notes on his bed when he oh, left yeah. for a tour and experiencing the crash of 1988 was really out of funds because he he quit his job to write this book. So he was down to his last. I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, like $150, much of which he spent on that expensive phone call to me. And uh, so we agreed that he he actually invited me to go to see a play. And I was horrified because I'd had to turn him down. at at the convention. What Steve didn't tell you is the reason I didn't go to breakfast with him was because I was involved in the middle of a torrid affair and um, uh, shall we say missed the better opportunity, uh, but uh, met Steve that year later. And so when I came uh, to New York, uh, we, we met there and within days, we knew we would be spending the rest of our lives together. Uh, It was, it was very, it was very, very, um, we were in our middle age. We had both been looking for someone. And I think you'll recognize this song, Anthony. We, when we found the person we knew and we wrote poems about it. And uh, we, we had a wonderful, magical three or four days. It was very cold in New York. Mm. And um, one of the first things we did together, you'll laugh at this, was I had heard about a new wine bar that had opened in Manhattan. And this is the dark ages, the late 80s, when these wine bars that could let you taste all kinds of wine were relatively new, where they could store wine under pressure and, and it wouldn't go bad. So so the very one of the very first things we did together is I took Steve wine tasting with the understanding I had found out by this time that he had almost no money. And I said, I'll come to New York if you'll do things with me so long as you'll let me pay. Well, being the enlightened feminist that Steve was at the time, he said, I have no problem with that. <laughs> Be so- my gift. In fact, I'll have another so- glass. <laughs> yeah, well, so we went to this wine bar and I had started a wine group several years before but you know uh you know it was exciting to me to where we could have a flight of cabernets you know all five different ones and then i got really brave and i said my god we could have a glass of chateau margot and you know it's one of the premier wines of the bordeaux region and uh, I forget how much this single glass of 1979, we were, it was 1989. So I was thinking a 10 year old glass of wine. So, so we ordered this glass of wine. Steve took a sip and he said, ah, this is sour. And I was thinking, oops, maybe this guy isn't a keeper after all. And I said, so how would you feel if you'd been locked up in a bottle for 10 years? So we... I said, let it breathe for a little while. And about 20 minutes later, we had another sip of that shared glass of Chateau Margot. And Steve said, this is getting really good. So I said, keep her after all, keep her after all, both the man and the wine. So uh, that started and we saw plays together and we went out to a couple of wonderful restaurants and I fell in love with the man and New York at the same time uh, before I went on. Uh, to my brothers in New Hampshire, where we celebrated Christmas. It was, in fact, the first anniversary of my mother's death. She had died on Christmas Day of 1988. So the reason I was on the East Coast was because I didn't feel that I could face 
being in California, uh, where my mother had died. So the be next best thing was I went to my brother's, but I met Steve on the way. And I had made a, uh, a goal in the early, I was doing all this San Francisco, uh, you know, hippy dippy uh, stuff. And I made a goal to meet someone before the end of the 1980s. And so this moment that I met Steve and where we decided we would be together was 12 years before the end of the decade. And all my friends teased me and said, Wilkinson, if you weren't such a procrastinator, you could have met this man years ago. But, uh, <laughs> but suffice to say, I met him 10 years before my goal expired. And we were married in 1992. And, it, and uh, we are looking forward to celebrating it again in New York next year, as I said and back here in California. And we still have a number of wine glasses. We had wine glasses made that said, uh, with, our friends, our friends. Judy and, yeah, with our good friends, Judy and Steve, 1992. So we still have several dozen. These are not expensive glasses, but we're <laughs> going to give everybody next year, as long as they hold out, new, new old glasses to commemorate the occasion. Sweet. Really uh, sweet. <laughs> when Judy left New York on... Thursday, uh, December 21st, 1989, I hadn't expected to directly speak with her until she got home to California uh, on about January 2nd. Uh, but we ended up talking on the phone on Christmas Eve, and we have actually talked every day since, even on days, well, I mean, it would only matter on days when one of us or the other was away. We've had some close, some close calls, like when I went to Guam, and because the international date line made it by only 15 minutes, or she was in Pennsylvania and lost track of the time. But uh, so far, we made it. It's not such an issue anymore because we never go anywhere anymore. But uh, in the earlier days, when we when we when we both had careers which uh, took us away from home from time to time, uh, it became sometimes a, a close issue. But it was very important to us and remains so to this day. Talking is uh, is one of the things that that it's just so wonderful to do always. Well, I can definitely attest to the magic of Christmas time in New York. Um, it is, it is without a doubt one of the best places to be at that time. Um, so I can, I can, I can almost feel the tingles. Um, and then, you know, I remember all of those, you know, hours long conversations back, you know, before texting and uh, Zoom, the wonderful Zoom, you know, just sitting on the phone for hours and the actual headset would get you know hot against your ear and you'd pull you know you'd switch ears and like the one ear is all red and hot and fiery yeah. so that's 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 a real nice nostalgic walk so tell us you know from 1989 to 1992 the wedding you know who moved well obviously you moved steve how you know how did it progress well, JetBlue uh, like, got a lot of our money. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I, I was involved in a technology consulting business at the time. I wrapped that up and basically came out to California, although we maintained my apartment in New York and spent a lot of time there over the years before uh, finally, uh, finally giving it up about 12 years ago. But, uh, yes, we had frequent visits from Judy's teaching vacations or on other occasions when I could come. And uh, as I say, we, we probably subsidized JetBlue to a great extent, but uh, it was a wonderful way to get to know each other better. When you don't see each other every day, when you don't uh, automatically share everything every day just because you're together, 
the opportunity and indeed the necessity of talking about things really gives you uh, a learning experience and a sharing experience, which is kind of unique. Yeah. I, well, in I fact, it's been that. reestablished this year. A lot of people who've become, uh, you know, built relationships uh, from dating sites and so forth have had to communicate exactly as we did 30 years ago yes. because yes. of the pandemic. Yeah. I, I myself am part of a convention couple. Um, we met in Rochester and the first almost year it was, you know, lots of, you know, a bunch of visits back and forth, but, you know, hours, hours long phone conversations. I've always been a fan of, of the kind of World War II era where the letters were written and everything was so romantic. And I know it's romanticized, but there is something to be said for long distance getting to know and, and really, you know, eking out the heart of who two people are and, and how they could be, you know, one couple. So it's a beautiful thing. I'm I'm sure some listeners out there are wondering, what was your impression when, I, I don't know if you took a train or a plane up to New Hampshire, but what was your impression when, you know, you, when you walked away the last time in New York and, and same to you, Steve, I don't know who wants to go first, but. Why don't you go first, Ree? Um, I told my brother and my family just laughed because I was in my mid forties and a very headstrong person. And, and, you know, even my mother who had, I, you know, there were bets and, and that I would never marry. And, you know, I had lots of, don't worry about that. And, but, you know, and I had been, you know, involved in several relationships that didn't, didn't pan out. Um, but when I left New York, we did, we knew, and in fact, I'm the one who called Steve from New Hampshire on that 24th of December, having told, you know, my brother who said, I can't believe this. But when he met Steve, you know, a year, when, when did you first meet my brother, Dan? First met Dan uh, in the summer of 1990. Okay, so relatively few months later, we, you know, we introduced, Steve had lost his father several years before and only had one brother remaining and I come from a family of six siblings and um, <clears throat> so there were lots of and the wonderful thing and Anthony you'll know this too the wonderful thing about both being adults is we each had an amazing number of friends uh, that we brought to the relationship and so we each gained so many wonderful friends and you know, though now and then there's a friend that one of us maybe didn't like fully or, but for the most part, we loved each other's friends right away. And, um, and that was a wonderful thing. In fact, somebody asked me, well, what do you think about a man who has so many women friends? Aren't you jealous? And I said, are you kidding? A man who has that many women friends who, you know, talk with him, there must be something going on there. And so that was one of the other benefits was this amazing uh, friendship exchange that got a little bit off your question, Tony, but it, it, it was just it was just absolutely clear to us both then, even though, uh, you know, there were a couple of rocky spots and, you know, I had not pictured myself, uh, you know, marrying a blind person, frankly. Um, the, a lot of expectations had to, and this is why talking so much was so helpful. It helped both of us get rid of perhaps a lot of uh, preconceived notions that we might have had about a relationship. Yeah. I've often, 
Go ahead, Steve. No, no, you go ahead, Tony. No, I, I was going to say, you know, I, I feel the same. I feel the same way. And I, I think when when you find love midlife, you almost aren't looking at a list of, of needs, of wants or do's. You're actually looking at the red flag list and the don'ts um, a little bit more than. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's 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 a wonder when, you know, when that beautiful magic of like, this is the one hits you. And I, I'm, I'm just going to ask it. Were you jaded at that point? Did you think maybe, you know, the ship has sailed. I'm never going to have that you know, that undying love for someone and, and I'll just enjoy relationships and enjoy my friends. But, uh, you know, maybe the magic is magic moment has passed for me. Well, I certainly had uh, very little expectation of what you call the magic moment of recurring. I foresaw spending my old age in the company of a hot water bottle. Uh, uh, and uh, as you say, though, uh, the other key point here is summarized by what Dostoevsky is often misquoted as saying, which is that each, he said, each man's life, will say each person's life is the refutation of their own ideas. And certainly that is true in relationships as much or more than anywhere else. Because if I had sat down and obviously I would have wanted someone who was intelligent. I couldn't have found anybody more intelligent than Judy, somebody who had a, who had a, a loving heart. Those, those are the, uh, the key things. But in terms of the, of the little things, uh, uh, you, you, you never get them right. It doesn't really matter in the end because it's the big things that matter. And uh, if they exist, they sweep away on their path. So what was the most surprising thing about each other and about coming together as an us? Who should take that first, Fee? <laughs> I, I, it took me a long time. In fact, perhaps I'm not there yet um, to be an us. For a long time, I I thought, what do you mean our money? <laughs> <laughs> I was the main breadwinner for, for a number of years, but thank it was only due to Steve's being employed at a certain point that I was able to leave teaching, which was figuratively and perhaps literally killing me after 28 years. Uh, I taught at a community college and I loved the teaching. I hated the administrators who made my life hell. Um, but be that as it may, um, it, it's, it's very, it was very hard for me to, to operate as a team. And I'm still not the very good at it. And Steve has to keep reminding me that, you know, we're in this together. Uh, it is it's very, it's very hard still for me to operate as an us. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. That's, I think a lot of people, a lot of people find themselves in that situation. And it's, it's definitely a juggling act, a balancing act. And so thank you for being raw and honest with that. How about you, Steve? Well, it depends a lot on what the us, on what the us means. I think that, uh, I think that Judy's energy and enthusiasm occasionally leads her to make decisions uh, uh, somewhat more unilaterally than I might like. That's probably true. But uh, I guess I have my own problems that we go I'm always, for example, upset when I can't get you to agree with me because I know I'm right about something. Uh, not, not necessarily a dispute between us, but some issue in the world, some political issue, some, you know, uh, economic issue, some, some abstract issue, uh, some issue of, you know, who we agree with, who we don't. Uh, 
I can't get it to agree with me. I was sure there's something wrong. We should agree. We should be absolutely in solidarity on everything that we think and believe. And so uh, that's, I guess that's one of my problems with what I'll call usitude for the moment. Uh, and uh, then there are little ones like, for example, uh, in any relationship, some uh, sharp edges get rounded down, some don't. The one that has never gotten rounded down for us, which actually maybe even gets sharper over the years, is the question of timing. I always like to be early for things, to not have to worry, to leave plenty of time. Uh, Judy hates to waste time to hang around, so she wants to leave, uh, you know, not 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 so late as to cut it close in her opinion, but at least uh, late enough that she's not going to have to hang around and wait at an airport or a train station or whatever. And this is something which is often a bone of contention between us, and it's one of the areas that has not been the sharp edges have not been totally rounded off yet. And it shows you that it's well, often little things that, you know, that, that in fact still are irritants. I mean, we have a joke in our family that we, we have a division of labor. I take care of the cooking and the laundry and the housekeeping, and Steve manages our affairs with China and uh, our relationships Serbia and, uh, with, you know, with the, with the international entities. And I'm uh, to foreign policy. Yeah, Steve is the thinker. Steve is the is the thinker and the analyst. Um, well, thank you very much. A post anniversary reverse gift. You just dashed my hopes of um, Gabe and I kind of have uh, the same running argument, especially with paratransit. You know, I, I want to you know evaluate and say, okay, well, we really only need this much time. You know, and then there's the 30 minute window. So boom, this is the time we're going, no, you know how it is. And we might get stuck with a trip going halfway down to Broward, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, oh Lord, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I guess you're letting me know that one's not gonna get better. <laughs> ah, but, but but you have time. I mean, yeah, I admit that you know, we spent 29 years working on it. I'd like to think we have more time and hopefully you guys have a lot more time. Absolutely. So Steve, what is your absolute favorite thing about Judy? My favorite thing about Judy, God, there's there's so many. I don't know where to start. I think my favorite thing about Judy is her her generosity of of spirit toward other people. I think uh, the fact that she has the courage when her initial reaction to something is not her optimal one to re to rethink it and to recalibrate it and not uh, you know be be overly committed to an initial reaction if she judges it wasn't the right one or decides it wasn't the right one i think her 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 scope of uh, of 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 literary uh, knowledge and experience are tremendous i think that uh, uh she's one of the world's best cooks uh uh, which uh, is uh, certainly uh, no small matter to someone who likes to eat as much as I do. Uh, her, uh, her her friends, uh, as she has already mentioned, her friends opened up wonderful dimensions in 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 my in my life. In fact, one of the things that we are coping with now as we get old, which is uh, an artifact of aging, if one if one or two live long enough, is to see the loss of some of one's most cherished friends, and that's been a very very difficult, a very difficult experience for both of us because we had our dreams of how we'll be spending our old age with them, and several key cases that will not come to pass. Uh, 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 I think that uh, I think her 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 her, 
just her, 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 her being her, her essence. I almost can't put it into words. I just feel a comfort and a joy in her company. I've always felt it. I always will feel it. I hate to be apart from her. Uh, uh, not, 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 not because of any of any helplessness. I, although I'm one of the world's more pathetic people, I'll grant. But uh, just because uh, uh, there's uh, such an, uh, a feeling that I get from her company that makes me feel good and hopeful about life. Wow, that's 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 pretty darn beautiful. How about you, Judy? Let's let's uh, go with the same question. I, I think I've I think I've alluded to it, but when I first met Steve, I said to myself, "This is somebody I can talk to for the rest of my life." And I worry sometimes that I'm, you know, I won't for four years. I wouldn't let him talk to me about the political situation. I wouldn't listen to the news. You know, which four years those were, <laughs> uh, like 2016 on. Um, but he is one of the most intellectual people intelligent but not he never uses intelligence to browbeat bully or or make people or look down on people like whenever we get in taxis steve always knows something about the country that the driver's from and i have seen people thrilled you know my country you know you 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 know the he'll say oh yes the dictator and you know the eritrea he'll know where the war was and and he always thinks, is always thinking, always analyzing. And, you know, I know it, ironically, it comes back to me. But when I first met Steve, I knew he adored me and would give me four and three quarters cents out of any nickel he had without ever questioning. And um, that, that was a kind of trust. And uh, to, to spend one's life with such an intelligent, kind, and, and generous person is really uh, something that's a miracle every day. I've uh, never said this before to anyone, uh, but uh, I said to myself, uh, after, after June and I met, and when it became clear to me too that we were spending our lives together, I made a vow to myself. I said, if I can uh, be a good partner to Judy and can make her life happy, then I will consider my life to have been well spent. Yeah. So I ask every couple, um, tell me about the proposal. Uh, yes, you, <laughs> you read to that one, sweetie. <laughs> you got a lot to answer for there. <laughs> um. I sort of got Steve to propose to me very shortly after we met. Was it in that April after we it met? It was in April. Or was yes, it, it was in April. April yes, 90. So uh -huh. Steve was thrilled. I This was the like minutes before I was leaving. Steve proposed to me. I said, yes. I got an airplane. I called him the next day and said, no. Changed my mind. What? <laughs> yes. This romantic. So I had finagled this proposal and then and what it was about, it's, I know it sounds funny, but it was about all those men I wasn't going to get to marry, all those princes that weren't going to come through the door. And I was going to have to settle for a flesh and blood man with all his faults, weaknesses, strengths, uh, but especially weaknesses. And, um, and, and, and I wasn't ready to commit to the real person because there were these men in my head uh, that were just waiting. And, you know, none of them had ever shown up mine, but... I had a very good friend who basically said, who the hell do you think you are 
to, you know, to think you're going to get anything better than this incredible man. And Steve had come to live with me and we didn't talk about it anymore. But one day in late, I guess, er, mid early 91, because we started looking for wedding venues in that summer, I kind of said, could we, um, he wasn't about to raise the issue again, having been burned. Um, but I then said, um, um, could, could we talk about this, this marriage thing again? And so it, as I say, it took me a while, almost a year to kind of come to grips with, give, you know, that I was really, that this, that this was going to be good enough, not only good enough, that this was going to be wonderful. And um, so that, that's the quote unquote romantic proposal story. Well, I, I got to give kudos to Steve that you, that you actually took the plunge and, and moved in after after a uh, reversal of uh, <laughs> a reversal of contract so to speak i i don't know if i if gabriel would have pulled something like that if i would have gotten <laughs> on the plane again <laughs> well i had the i had the idea that uh, Judy would eventually relent uh, as, as i say one of uh, uh, the characters of Judy that i've come to understand uh, over the years is that her first reaction is not necessarily either her best reaction or her only reaction and uh, she and she understands that herself. And so I had I had the idea in this case it was my first uh, illustration of this. I had the idea that given how I believed she felt uh, that uh, she might well reconsider. And there was there was there was no hurry. I mean, as it is, I believe we are uh, as far as uh, as far as we know uh, the oldest aggregate age at first marriage of any couple I know of. We were our aggregate age at first marriage was ninety uh, ninety four, and. Uh, uh, unless you get a, a couple who were neither neither one ever married, one who's a seventy and one who's thirty, you're not going to beat that number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Byron, I'm going to put you on alert. In a few minutes, um, we'll look for any raised hands for people who want to congratulate Judy and Steve today. But um, let's have a little fun. In the meantime, um, I do it differently for every couple's show. So for you guys, I'm going to ask you to. Come up with a minute roast. You know, you're doing, you're roasting each other. And uh, let's talk about the things, the little things, you know, the toilet seat or, you know, putting knives, you know, up in the silverware drink, uh, you know, the, the thing that dries them. But uh, do a one minute roast on each other about the, the little annoyances. Okay. Uh, I believe there's a, 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 a observation somewhere uh, in in the Talmud, to the effect that uh, it roughly comes down to people can be as you know deeply in love, but if they don't put the top on toothpaste the same way, they're gonna have a problem. Uh, <laughs> that's not a literal quotation, of course, but that's the idea. So uh, I would say that I will go first. And uh, one of the things that that bothered me about Judy, uh, number one, she basically won't let me in the kitchen ever. Uh, now uh, she she claims that I'm a, a danger to life and limb in the kitchen, which may not be true. I can't get in there very often. I can't tell. So that, uh, that, that is something that I would like, like to change. Uh, I, I mentioned the, uh, the time thing, the scheduling thing, uh, that, that drives me crazy. Uh, we both are sort of, uh, uh, we're not, we're, not, we're, we're clean, but we're messy in the sense that we pile up things. We, uh, we're, we're, we have a, a pack rat, uh, uh, mentalities both, but in very different ways. And so hers is unbelievably uh, uh, is irritating to me, and mine is unbelievably irritating to her. 
uh, and uh, we both have the same characteristic, which makes that very difficult. Uh, I would say that uh, there's only other things that I, that I can think of. Give me more time and I'll come up with more things. But uh, I think for a minute that I'll do to start. Yeah, I'll give you a chance to rebut each other if you want. Judy, you're up. <laughs> uh, well, some people just don't know which way the toilet roll should go. Steven, in fact, Steve is so precise that he, if he's putting the roll on, he puts it his way. And if I put it on, I put it on my way. And we no, still not true, not true. I, I, I alternate. Steve alternates. Steve, that's the A type personality Steve is. He alternates. Uh, anyway, there's that. I never, I never thought I was going to marry a smoker. And eventually Steve wonderfully did give up smoking. I never thought I was going to marry a blind person. Uh, but Steve couldn't help that, overcame that. He um, he slurps his coffee, drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> um, he uh, doesn't remember where things have been set down and loses things that are right under his hand. And I'm saying, I'm just another blind person and you want me to come find the vitamin bottle that's two inches from your hand? Um, You're smarter smarter than I am, that's all. (laughs) I'm I'm more spatially, shall we say, perceptive. Yeah, the physical universal universal has no charms for me. Yep, this is... Frankly, you know, Steve's Jew. I always say I never know what's wrong with Steve that can't be explained by the fact that he's a New Yorker and had supers to do everything, that he's Jewish and, you know, had everybody to praise him as the firstborn, that he's got the Y chromosome, for heaven's sakes. You know, <laughs> this is this is he can't help, but it's a problem. I'm telling you. And, uh, <laughs> um, There's you a know, fun Go ahead. Time. Yeah. <laughs> the fundamental uh, uh, characteristic, Judy and I are both incubator products. Now, I have a theory. When when Judy was born, uh, she was lying there in an incubator, a tiny little thing, and she said to the world at large, I dare you to kill me. When I was born, I lay in the incubator, a tiny little thing, and I said, but please, please, please don't kill me. If you let me live, I won't give you any trouble. I won't, won't, I'll be good. So we have such, and I always joke, if we had been younger, younger enough to have children, just imagine what the child would have been like if it had Judy's temper and my timidity. <laughs> the dichotomy. I, it might I, have do, been, I do have a temper. With most of a personality. <laughs> I yes, do I should have, have said, I, sh- I should have said, that's the, maybe the one thing that actually, does bother me most uh, about Judy. This is the most upset to me about Judy, her temper. Not not ironically, as it's directed toward me, although it took me a long time to to realize that I would not be exempt from it. But uh, sometimes when it's directed uh, uh, to to other people under circumstances that I find very upsetting, that that actually would be the one thing that would most perhaps most trouble. Yes, that is the one thing that most troubles me. Well, I have been robots? known to. To, I've been known to be to say things in airports and at bus stops, and I I have not always been kind to people who are, as they always say, just trying to help. Um, it's it's not it's getting better, but I still lose it uh, more often than I'd like to, frankly. But you are getting better, sweetie. You really are. Well, and I'm not perfect either, of course. I'll throw out to Judy first. 
what is something that you learned about yourself with or because of Steve? Well, I learned that, in fact, I um, am not uh, always thoughtful about other people. And that is a very good thing to have learned. Um, Steve is, is a model for being kind and being very, very considerate of other people. And th despite my public, shall we say, my public life as a teacher and, you know, all my years of activity in the California Council, where I, as you know, served most recently as president for four years, I, uh, I am not very nice to people a lot of the time. And Steve has really reminded me of that and reminded me that there are better ways, that there are kinder alternatives in this world. Wow, that's beautiful. How about you, Steve? Uh, I think the thing I've learned most from Judy is that uh, uh, no one person can be or has to be or should try to be responsible for everything, that uh, everything in life, whether it's an intimate relationship or by analogy, anything else, uh, necessarily involves some division of labor. Uh, and uh, I think as long as uh, in any situation, I can feel that I'm doing my part, even if it's not everything or it's not exactly the things I'd like to do, but if I can feel that I'm doing my part, uh, contributing my share to any, to, any, to any endeavor, then I can feel good about it. And I think that's something I've learned uh, uh, through, through interacting with Judy, because in a, in a marriage, in a relationship, uh, you obviously have to have some division of labor. Not everybody can do everything, and uh, not everybody has the same set of skills, or for that matter, the same deficits. And uh, I would say that, that lesson is transferred uh, to some degree uh, into my work life and into my volunteer life and uh, into all the other kinds of uh, situations and relationships in which I find myself. You're both extremely active and you have, you know, stellar reputations, especially within the American Council of the Blind. And, you know, I had a, a conversation with Brian and Kim on a couple show, Charleston, of course, um, moons ago. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I wondered from Brian, you know, for and now for you, Steve, for those four years where Judy was really in charge and really had, you know, to hold everything on her shoulders. What's um what advice did you offer up? What, how did you, you know, did you completely stay away? You know, did you guys, um, you know, have some sort of agreement? No, we never had any formal agreement and we made, uh, you know, most decisions that involved us both. So we made them together, uh, uh, in, the, uh, for the period, uh, late 91 through mid 93, I comes out to live with Judy in terms of going late 91, but from then until mid-93, when I published it, I was writing my book on tax options strategies for people with disabilities. And Judy not only supported that book, she edited it. She edited it. And uh, whatever whatever uh, understandability, whatever, shall we say, scrutability, as opposed to the inscrutability the book had was entirely uh, due to her to her editing. Uh, we used to sit up nights uh, doing that. And this is this she did after she came home from a day of, of teaching. Uh, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Never cease to be grateful for it. And again, it, it dramatically influenced uh, my writing to this, to this very day. Uh, I always hear her voice in my head when I write now. But uh, I would say that uh, uh, for those four years, 
the, uh, the, the, the reality of where the money came from, for example, uh, we've never had any kind of power relationship of, of that kind. What, whatever power relationship has just to do with the – I'd like to think that uh, in any situation where we disagree, the person who feels most strongly about the matter should be given deference. I don't know if Judy agrees with me, but that's, that's, the, way I, that's the way I feel. It should be. And uh, I think by and large, even without necessarily discussing it, that's the way it's worked out over the years. But, Steve, I do want to focus on what, you know, what Anthony uh, uh, did ask, which is about the four years that I was president. Um, oh, those four years. I'm sorry. Those four years. Okay. Oh, we learned oh, something sorry. interesting, though. No, go ahead. I misunderstand what four years you were talking about. Forgive me. During the four years that Judy was president, I was uh, so very proud of her and eager to do whatever I could to assist her. Now, there, there you're right. I felt, uh, I think she probably felt, uh, that although we were free to talk about anything, uh, I had to understand and accept, and I did understand it to accept and accept, that any decisions she made uh, were ultimately hers because they were her responsibility. And there were certain things that because of confidentiality or otherwise she couldn't talk about and that I would never have pressed her to talk about. So I had to learn, I had to, learn to be respectful and to, to draw back on occasion, which is you know not necessarily... Uh, my nature. In fact, one of my problems is that often if there's a difficult or contentious issue, Judy will not want to talk about it for a while. And I always want to talk about it right away. You don't want to leave it simmer. And that in itself can be a problem. So I had I had to learn what the proper boundaries are for someone who has no official role. Uh, uh, but uh, I, you know, whether I did or did not do that successfully, Judy's in a better position to answer than I am. All right. It was a it was a very, very difficult time when I ran for president of the council. Um, frankly, there was nobody uh, looking like they were going to run. And just, and in fact, I did really did not want to run. And Steve did not want me to run. And my friends did not want me to run. In other words, they said, what's your first clue? You're bursting into tears every time you're thinking about running for president. And um I was ready to let the nominations committee decide and a couple of weeks before the nomination committee met finally to decide if there was going to be somebody to run for president. Um, I couldn't stand it. And I did decide and Steve fully supported that decision to run for the presidency. Um, and it was a decision he really, really wished I hadn't made. But once I had made it, there was nobody more supportive. And I called on him so many times to assist me, to, uh, to, to, uh, to entertain. Uh, I'd bounce ideas off of him, though, as he said, there were times I couldn't. Um, but he, he never questioned my decision once I made it. And the one other piece of advice that he gave me that was invaluable was that two terms was enough and that I was it would probably not be a good idea for me to run for a third term, which I could have done, but um, I'm 77 now. I was 76 at the end of my term. And, you know, I'll, um, hopefully Gabe will be around a good many years. So I'll, I'll hold my position, a very important position in the organization as immediate past president. But seeing the middle-aged younger quote unquote folks coming up, I realized that it was all right for me to leave the presidency, but that was a very hard decision too. Um, and Steve advised me, please, to consider not running. Um, and it was a very good piece of advice. But again, if I had 
decided the other way, he would have been totally, absolutely supportive. It's very All important. Right. Uh, I just want to say quickly, uh, uh, to, to publicly make my position clear, I made an offer that I would finance the campaign if anybody would run against Judy. <laughs> well, that this is something. This is something that you know we're we have fairly good retirement, but I have spent a lot of our money on council-related um, things over the past eight years since I came back and became more active in the council. And you know, Steve never said that never he's always supported that and in a way you know i took liberties frankly with with our money and 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 spent it on you know on this cause and he he was good enough to support this particular cause with me i mean he believes in it too but shall we say i'm not sure we would have spent as much money on you know council related business if I had, you know, if I hadn't been an officer, and if I hadn't, if I hadn't decided during the last few years of my presidency to absorb all my expenses and, you know, not pass any on to the to the affiliate, um, and that, you know, that took took our combined. That was our money, and I spent a lot of it, you know, on what interested me. As I say, and Steve, well, it's not that it wasn't interested. It it was important. It was important work, and when I think back to uh, how much of quote our money, uh, you know, uh, must uh, must spent, you know, while I worked while I worked on on my books, none of which none of which ever made any money, uh, and uh, really, realistically speaking, given where the income was coming from at that time, you were responsible for that money. Now, yeah, so uh, how could I ever have done otherwise? It just it, it would have been possible for me to do otherwise. Uh, the cause was important to you, and it is an important cause. I can't say that it was as important to me as it, was, as it is to you. Judy's been a member of CCB for nigh on to 60 years. Uh, but nevertheless, if it's her cause, it's, 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 my, it's my cause too. And certainly it is, it is even independently of Judy a cause that I do care about and believe in. Well, in one area, I can still say I'm a youngin, and that's in the American Council of the Blind World. Um, probably the only area left that can say that, but I digress. It's unknown <laughs> to do. <laughs> but from, you know, from many tell, I won't say all tell, but from many tell, you know, I'm I've got the understanding that you left the organization presidency wise for Gabe in a much much better place than when you took it. So. I would imagine that many Californian Council of the Blind members must be very thankful that they had, you know, eight years of um of Judy and four and years, so, four years, four, five four years. years. Sorry, but <laughs> anyway, Judy, we, no. Judy was a great, great president. She really was. I'm going to just say this: uh, Judy inherited the presidency, the organization that was really uh, on on the rocks, uh, extremely so, uh, desperate financial situation, very, very, very low morale, declining membership. Uh, she didn't fix everything, but when she left office four years later, we had a dynamic young new leadership with vitality and with prospects continuity. We had uh, new initiative, new initiatives, uh, energetic uh, new uh, chapters and affiliates being joined, and uh, an engaged board that had never been the case before to the same extent, uh, and a morale and a feeling of hopefulness and energy that was, uh, I believe, unprecedented in recent years, notwithstanding the incredibly hard and excellent work of so many other people. The, the situation of the organization as it found itself when Judy came in was not a function 
of, of bad people. It was a function of a variety of circumstances, but fortunately, she was able to do a tremendous job in, in reversing the trend and getting things going in a good direction. A lot to say, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to wrangle even good people and, and pull out of a downward slump, let's call it. I'm, I'm a baseball guy, so we'll, you know, there'll always be baseball analogies. Um, hey, so you what, and what, Steve what you have to compare notes. We, yeah, I'm a Steve, Steve has been an avid baseball fan since like he was eight and the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, on, man. On, on October, 9, October 4th, 2005, the 50th anniversary of the day of the Brooklyn Dodgers won World Championship, I wrote to a colleague of mine, who would have thought that the vicarious high point of my life would have occurred at the age of nine? <laughs> that's that's awesome. So, Byron, um, let's see if we have any well wishers for Judy and Steve. Any hands up? All right. We do have an account. We have an account at Citibank. If they want to express that, it's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> we do have. Uh, we did. Well, we had. Yeah, we have Judy. Uh, Ju- sorry, Jane. <laughs> We have Jane with her hand up, so I'm going to ask you to unmute Jane and feel free to go ahead and speak. Hello. And first of all, Anthony, whoever talked about um, a radio program for music that would involve uh, military songs, go look for the John Meacham book. He's a great historian. I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a great collection of historically valuable songs. So thank you. And about firecrackers, y'all make them loud. Otherwise we won't see them. (laughs) Um, My guide dog might have a fit, but I know how to deal with him about that. Judy and Steve, congratulations. The thing about meeting up with life in a partnership when you're, either you know your second time around or you've come through a rough gap in a marriage and you are approaching the one you had with a better perspective um you know sex kind of takes its place in the build-up of love it's great to be able to talk and talk things through and look at each other and take a walk and say i'll be back and then finish the conversation. I really appreciate um, what you're committed to in terms of each other and congratulations. My husband and I have been married for 52 and a half years and uh, it's better now. Congratulations to you. Well, thank you, but it's, you know, it's better now than it it has been despite, um, I'm having a really hard time with the until death do us part part um, Tom yeah. has Parkinson's and that's just really irritating me because I didn't know, I didn't know, like you two didn't know that you weren't always as kind as you thought you might have been. Now, Judy, I also have to congratulate you on just getting totally irritated with people who just have to try to help and in the <laughs> Southern way, bless their hearts, which really means the opposite. Um because there are times when people need to be confronted right out. You know, when people, when I'm walking down the street singing, do I diddy diddy, and somebody just stops in front of me and then they say, well, couldn't you go around me? I have a brother who says, never mind what he says. He says, move over you, you know, basically. But congratulations to you. 
at the very beginning of your conversation, Judy, you said, Anthony, you'd recognize this song, and then you forgot to say what it was. So I want to know what song you were thinking of, unless it's oh, flown in one and out the other ear. It's it's gone. It's gone. Oh, all right. Well, next time. <laughs> but we do, Steve and I, Steve and I do have the our, our song, which was played at our wedding, and it's uh, the great song, uh, Time After Time. Oh. Time. Which I heard on the radio Time. just by chance this morning. Oh, you, wow. you know, Jane, I'm going to mute. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, this uh, until death do us part issue becomes a more and more real issue as people get older. Mm. I think it's an issue for for every couple, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't mind telling you we have we have on occasion spoken about uh, you know what, if one of us goes, as one of us inevitably will. Uh, uh, before the other one, unless some tragedy uh, takes us both simultaneously, but you know, like one will go before the other. What would it be like? You know, uh, uh, yeah. which you know, how how would either of us uh, endure? Mm -hmm. What would we do? How would we be? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that you do have to you do think about as you get older. And uh, yeah, there's also the question you talk about kindness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what? You know, if one of us got sick, really sick, to a point where they needed a level of of care. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that uh, was not normally forthcoming. How would we react? How would we react? Uh, I, I, for example, would not have the skills probably necessary, uh, and uh, probably Judy would have not have the physical strength if I had to be moved, for example, uh, bathed or 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 mm -hmm. or, or uh, transferred. Uh, so we'd have to get help. But but short of that, little things. How how would we react? Would we be so, kind to each other? So uh, I hope we would be. Only time will tell. But you won't know that until you screw it up royally and then go look at it. When Tom was first diagnosed with Parkinson's, I was beside myself and I thought, how do we have any humor in this situation? And we were driving along one day while he was still driving. And we were, in fact, on our way to a Parkinson's support group meeting. And we drove past the Dairy Queen. And you know, their big theme is let's see what's shaking at the Dairy Queen. So I grabbed Tom's hands because he tremors a lot and he has medicine to control. I said, honey, let's go see what's shaking. Whoop, at the parking <laughs> And that was a huge um, moment for me wow. to figure out that yes. I could find yes, that's wonderful. a good laugh. But we have to work at it. And you will need help as, as, um, the person in our marriage who is blind, I'm uh, fearful that I will miss cues, and I probably will. So we try to talk about as much of all of that as we can. But, you know, that's ahead. That's down the road. It's, it is part of the road. And um, nobody says it's good to rewrite that part out of the marriage commitment. <laughs> That's right, and we're and we're all on a road on a road that has no GPS. Let's face you it. Bet. Wow. <laughs> all right, I am going to mute because I just want to ask you one one quick question: What happens? What happens when Dairy Queen merges with Burger King? Oh, well, we'll find out. Joke. burger. We'll find out. That's, so that's another one. That's one of my. That's another one of my things that Judy hates. My oh, alleged oh my bad God, joke. How could I have forgotten Steve's bad puns as this one of and repeating <laughs> bad jokes as one of the irritants. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm shutting myself off and shutting up. Later, later, y'all.
Thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming to Sunday edition. Byron, do we have any other hands? Let's take a look. Um, it looks like we have two. Uh, why right. don't we go ahead and take, oh, sorry, we just have one. Uh, Jane, uh, Jane is still raised. Uh, let's take Lori. Lori, I'm going to ask you to unmute and you should be able to speak. Lori, Lori, Lori. Going once. Going twice. All right. Well, if Lori makes herself unmuted at some point, um, uh, Judy and Steve, will you stick around for a little while, just in case? Sure. 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 Hey, hey Tony, by the way, uh, we're, we're looking. We have a young friend in New York who may be able to uh, sublet us an apartment for a couple of months a year. So if we do, we'll invite you guys to New York on one of the holidays. Oh, heck yeah. Gabe and I, um, we're actually going to jump up to New York in July for just for the weekend. I need to see my mom and and things, but heck yeah. And uh, I, from what I hear about Judy's cooking, uh, I'm there every night. <laughs> yes, I, Gabriel, Gabriel has some uh, reliable knowledge on that score. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Gabe and I will bring the wine as long as Judy cooks. <laughs> hey, happy, happy, happy deal. anniversary. Thank you I don't so think much. it'll be Chateau, but it'll be something really special. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to our, just a shout out for your fabulous uh, Florida auction. Um, I'm really looking forward to our wine date, Anthony. Yes. Drop us an email when you want to schedule it. Not in July. Let's wait till after the convention when we can kick back a little more. Absolutely. Happy, happy anniversary. Thank Byron, you. did we have a promo before we go to Ron and Lisa, or should I yep. jump right in? No, let's let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right. This is Daryl Lukes, inviting you to join me for the Forever Young Oldies Show, Fridays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on ACB Radio Cafe. Each week, I'll be playing great oldies from the 60s and 70s, some folk rock, and some rock and roll. Please join me on Fridays on ACB Radio Cafe. Wow, that sounds interesting. I will definitely check that out. I love music of all kinds. And you know, that's a great segue, actually. If you have joined any of the karaoke parties on uh, Saturday nights in the last couple of months, you'll definitely know my next couple. If you are a loyal listener to Sunday Edition, you'll remember that they were here a while back. And I definitely wanted to check back in with them. Ron, Lisa, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Hey hi, there. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, and happy absolutely. anniversary to uh, Steve yeah. and Judy. Yeah, thank that, you. that was thank actually really, really nice. Uh, it was really good to get to know you both. And uh, a what a nice interview. story. Yeah. yeah. I love how. To get to know you too. <laughs> I love how, how honestly raw they were about things. Um, it, you know, and I think with every couple that I've interviewed, there's little things that that teach me something or or give me a perspective to look at that I might not have seen before. And and that the last hour was definitely um, high up on the list of perspective making. <laughs> but uh, let's jump into Ron and Lisa. Welcome back. Ron, I know you just uh, spent a week on business. So are you all home and relaxed? And did you get that glass of wine? Uh, I did indeed. Um, maybe more than one. And yes, we are. 
Uh, we are all together in Phoenix where it's a beautiful sunny Sunday morning. So uh, it's great to be back. Have a little time home. Awesome. Let me let me let me break the pattern a little bit since you guys are returning and, and you just listened to the fabulous conversation. What did uh, what did you learn from Judy and Steve? And I'll ask Lisa the same thing in a moment. You know, I learned a lot. Um, I've known Steve and Judy kind of from a distance for a long time. Steve a little bit longer than Judy. Um, I was involved in uh, CCB all the way back, really. Um, to graduate school in, in the about 1990. And so I knew Steve, I think it was probably the Silicon Valley chapter. And, um, and I knew Judy a little bit and, but I didn't know either very well. And I knew Judy later because I was um, chair of the board of publications and Judy was a member of the BOP. Um, kind of as I was finishing my time, she was, um, got involved in the BOP um, so I, I think just getting to know Steve and Judy as people and less as, you know, in their kind of, you know, official ACB kind of roles was really, really interesting. And I, I especially, um, appreciated the candor of the conversation. Um, you know, I saw sides to both that I did not know and had never seen and, and imagined. And, uh, that was really cool. So I, th I think that's probably my takeaway. How about you, Lisa? I think that you can definitely tell from listening to their interview. Um, Ron and I left the Bay Area in 1996. Mm -hmm. So while I may have met um, one or both of them, uh, I wasn't involved quite very much back then. And um, so, you know, never had a chance to really get to know them, but you can tell from their interview the love and the respect that they have yeah. for each other, um, the, the genuine care and sincerity. And, um, uh, you know, I just hope that as we continue to grow as a couple that that, you know, we can have that same sort of uh, essence that, that you can tell that they share together. It's just beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of permission. There's a lot of recognition that, you know, these are two different people. Um, who, you know, probably see the world somewhat differently and approach things differently and have different, you know, things that are maybe interests. And, you know, there's the overlap, but there's also the, the other parts. And I, there's a clear a pile of respect that each gives the other and space. And um, that is, um, that's a really, really cool thing because, you know, people are different and they look at the world different and, you know, Lisa and I are different and it's very nice that it's nice to see people who have figured out how to be together and still give each other the space to be the people they already are, to have the interests that they have, to do the things they want to do um, and to give value and space. So that, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, you know, I referenced karaoke a few, a few moments ago. Um, you guys, you're there faithfully every week, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and it, it made me wonder, you're so adorable together. You know, there's, there's kids in the house, dogs retiring, problems with the pool, starting a new business. You know, how do you keep the romance alive and, and how do you keep that adorableness going? He makes me laugh. 
all the time. <laughs> um, that's, to me, that's a big part of it. Um, just the fact that he reminds me that, you know, we can still have fun, that, you know, it, life is meant to be fun. And I think we, we balance each other out. And, and at least from my perspective, he, he always makes me laugh. And that's a great help. So the roles that we play are, I'm the optimist um, at all cost, and, and I'm the spender. And I'm the big picture, you know, let's, let's just shoot for the moon. We'll figure it out when we get there, you know, or we'll change or we'll shift or we'll do this or, and it'll be fine. And we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Lisa's the planner, the organizer, the realist who kind of says, you know, that sounds good, but so, and, and I think that's true in all things. Um, and, you know, in our relationship, I bring, you know, I mean, I think we're both funny and Lisa is funny too. And, and our humor is different, but, you know, she brings a, an energy of kindness and energy of, of empathy, but she also brings a lot of strength. She's the one who, when there needs to be um, a hard conversation, maybe it's about money or maybe it's about something we need to do with the kids or something we need to do with, you know, with our house or something that I'm kind of just in denial of because it doesn't fit my happy place. She's the one who always has the courage to go, Hey, we really need to talk about this. And so I think we balance each other really well in terms of, I keep things kind of light and moving forward and big picture and let's go here. And I think sometimes I kind of drag her along and and she's the one that kind of says, Hey, but you know, we got to figure this part out and this part out and this part out. And, and over the, over the years, I've learned to listen to that. And, and, and I think she's, you know, we've, we've really adopted and adapted to each other's style and and, and it's made us, yeah, it's made us better. I would, there are things I would never have done without, you know, his encouragement or, um, just the kind of, come on, let's go. You'll be happy when it's over. <laughs> and then, so. yeah. And I'd probably have us crashed in the poorhouse and, you know, living on the beach. I mean, we'd be, we'd be having fun, but we'd probably be broke. So, you know, it's, it, it there's balance in there and it's, it's, it's really helped us. That's, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> so, you know, we're all coming out of, you know, pandemic and, and a world that shifted so quickly under all of our feet. What did you guys learn about yourselves and about each other throughout the pandemic? You want to go first, Lise? You can go first. Okay. So I was, <laughs> I, I, I've learned so much from, from this time that I, I can't even, it's, it's, it's almost like a little bit bittersweet because it's, a, it's kind of over and I'm starting to get back to a pretty busy work style and, uh, being gone some. And when the pandemic happened, I, I was traveling a lot before. And then when it started, of course, everything shut down and we all kind of came home. I was actually on a plane when things, when the restrictions were announced coming back from Florida. And um, I think the things I, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned to slow down a little bit. Um, I learned I, I took the time to do a lot of self-reflection and reading and thinking and revising and journaling. And, and I think 
I, I mean, I just learned a lot of stuff about how to be a better version of the person that I want to be. Um, I think I learned to uh, listen better. And, and I think I learned to work harder because, and, and part of that was the pandemic. And part of it was, you know, at the end of the pandemic, I was in a, a job that, that, that ended because of the, you know, at least in part because of the pandemic. And it wasn't something that I chose. And I think I learned the importance of doing the work uh, and not taking it for granted. And yes, be an optimist. Yes, you know, be, yeah, be that, you know, have that big vision and that exciting future and all that mission and stuff, but you have to do the work and you've got to focus on the things that matter and, and the fundamentals. And I think, I think that that's probably what I've learned. And um, what I hope I take out of the pandemic, I think is the, the sense that family, it really is the most important thing. Uh, time at home is really important. And, and I already knew that, but I think living it for a year plus of being at home, I really got to feel super close to the family more so than before. Um, we learned to live together and, and, you know, we don't have a large house and there are five of us and dogs. And, um, yeah, I think it just was a really good opportunity to reset. And I hope that I can bring a lot of that and keep it and hold on to it, even when things get busy. The Thanks. pandemic, um, the one gift of the pandemic, I think, you know, because there were certain things that were very difficult, and Ron's going to talk about some of those, I'm sure, in a little bit, uh, more so than what he mentioned, was that it, it did give us the gift of time. I mean, the world stopped, and it, it does sort of make you reevaluate where you are, what you're doing, is this what you want to be doing, where are you spending your time? because uh, everything, everything stopped. Nobody was going anywhere. Um, you know, we, we brought out the board games again with the kids um, that we hadn't, you know, done in a while. Um, so it, it gave us time uh, to rethink things um, about spending time with the people that you really care about and strengthening uh, those relationships and um, you know cherishing those moments because it, it did force force you to slow down. Yeah, I think the other thing, and just to kind of talk about cherishing moments. Um, yeah, I'm one of those people who always and and I and I I think this is a good thing, but it can be taken too far, and that's this idea of a mission and wanting to leave a legacy and being important and making the world better. And we saw a lot of people die, uh, you know, because of COVID. And I mean, people die all the time, but, you know, it was really front and center with COVID. I mean, we're reading daily death statistics in yeah. the paper. And I think the thing that, and I remember thinking this on many occasions and thinking about, especially if a celebrity died or somebody who was significant in a company, you know, people that had quote legacies and who were doing quote important things when they died, that was it. And, and I think the thing that struck me is we get wrapped up in a lot of super things that seem super important at the time that we get wrapped up in them. And it's not that they're not important, but they can go in a second. And 
when you think about what really matters, it's, it's family, it's the people that you're close to, it's how you choose to show up. You know, those things are more important. And yes, legacy is important. Making the world better is important. But, you know, that, but the irony, of course, is that if you show up better and if you have better relationships and you are a better person, you're probably more successful with that legacy that you were all focused on in the first place. And I think what I've learned is, is to flip the order. Forget about, I mean, the work is important and it'll be important and I'll focus on it. But what I need to focus on first is right here. That other stuff, it'll we'll get there. You know, we'll get to it. It'll get done, or it won't get done. Um, but this stuff is right here, right now, and, and I can pay attention to it first. And that other stuff will come when it when it comes, if it comes. That's a, that's a really powerful lesson, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me in the least bit when you pop up on the list when you know when you comment on things on social media, y- you have a really world view meets ron's view but it's it's done in such you know it's done in such an eloquent way you know you've never you've never gotten side or or you know pointing any real finger but you get it you know you get your point across so i'm really really very thankful that uh we're talking today i i love your perspective just about 99% of the time. Um, so thank you for sharing that piece. I, I mean, I'm walking away from today's show undoubtedly with, with a bunch of perspective changing thoughts in my head. Um, but I want to go back to karaoke for a minute. I think some of us are curious, is it, is it a standing date night or is it a family night? Are the kids <laughs> around listening? How often the, uh, or the, how must be prepared? <laughs> <laughs> the give kids us, are hiding. Karaoke. The, the kids are hiding. I'll let Lisa do most of this, but I'll just start out. The kids are hiding. Kids are they hiding. Although some of them will leave their door open, so I don't They'll know. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. They're closet. They kind of come in and maybe. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I but think they, they think we're around. weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I call it a standing date night exactly. Um, it's, it's close. It's something that we both enjoy and. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun and, you know, we'll look for songs and stuff throughout the week or practice throughout the week or whatever. Um, but, and I don't know, I think I was more interested in it in the beginning than, than Ron was because it just seemed such a novelty thing. And I'm, um, I would consider myself a shy person. So I don't like, I, I, I still get nervous every time it, they call my name, like my hands get sweaty and my wow. stomach gets all messed up and and I just want to go run and hide um <laughs> so but you're so good <laughs> <laughs> I try um but you know so for me it was like hey this is so cool I don't have to go to the bar I don't have to figure out where the where to go to the DJ I don't have to figure out what songs they have or have the yeah. waitress write down my name you know that well, this is real convenient so I'm like you know we have to go to this thing and so um, I think that's kind of how it started. And I'm the opposite. I was like, I can't go to a bar, you know, and I, and there's no people, there's no energy. Cause I love, you know, I'm an extrovert by temperament <laughs> and I love people and I love a party. And I'm like, you know, uh, it was the, I was like singing on a zoom call. You gotta be kidding me. That's so weird. You know? <laughs> and, 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, she definitely did it first. And then I, but I like singing and I like music. So after a while, it was like, well, we're not going anywhere. So may as well do it. And, and, um, and, and we, you know, it was something for us to do together too. And we weren't, I mean, none of us were going anywhere anyway. So um, it, it, it did kind of, you know, give us an opportunity. What'll be interesting is as things reopen, you know, I think we're already, you know, we're pretty committed to doing it for a while and, and you know, we're just yeah. hoping that it kind of stays, stays the way it is because I mean, we, and I'm hoping we get to go do some out, outside karaoke and, or at least, you know, she turns me loose and I'll go do outside karaoke. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but I also hope that this stays because this is really fun and it does take all the logistics out and you get to focus on your song and there's no judgment. So, yeah. And, and, you know, she's, and Lisa's a really good singer. So I have as much fun listening to her as I do singing. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's, you're pretty it's, darn it's good, good yourself, thing. Mr. Brooks. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, Gabe actually just surprised me the other day. He found um, a karaoke, a Chinese restaurant that actually rents out karaoke rooms. There's a couple of them. So I am so psyched oh, wow. for an in-person, but I'm, I'm not going anywhere on our Saturday nights for a while. I'll ask one more karaoke question, then we'll get into the nuts and bolts. Um, <laughs> we know that there's a tone. It's ACB. It's, you know, it's over ACB radio. What's one song you really wish you could do, but won't do on the ACB karaoke? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she knows exactly where I'm going. It's a duet that she won't do because we just can't do it. <laughs> Should, should I, I i'm not I'm, i won't yeah, say, you can you say it's fine so no, there's no, this there's a song called <laughs> baby let's cruise and there's this cleaned up version oh, that no. was done in the 90s okay. but i'm going back yeah. to smoky in the 70s that's the version i'd do nice but, but it's definitely it. it's it's definitely I not right uh, uh I pg whatever <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah, or it is yeah. PG something or other. Um, I don't know. There's probably ones that uh, would offend uh, people in terms of um, beliefs and things that you know maybe we wouldn't do. I won't say the name, but <laughs> but yeah, we we try and keep it family appropriate. Yeah, we do. Yeah, there's one. Um, the the artist is Laura Bell Bundy, and she's got a song called "You Can't Pray the Gay Away." I mean, <laughs> oh man, I'd love to just rock out on that one, but you know, maybe yeah. that'll be for the in person karaoke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, I, I have to tell you, it's so funny because there was a, a thread running around on Facebook, and I think actually Mika, with a you know who is one of the hosts started it of, of songs that you loved when you were younger and you were embarrassed by that you're yes. a little bit embarrassed to admit to yeah i i responded in the thread but i will not do the song because people would probably have me arrested i keep um, waiting for you to do it i'm not doing it it's <laughs> it's ice ice baby by vanilla ice i loved the song i bought the album for the song and I just don't have the nerve to pull it off. <laughs> so, oh, come that, on, stop, collaborate, and listen. Uh, and come I'm on now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's the Miami sound. Come on. But uh, no, I'm not sure I have the nerve. But anyway, 
but uh, yeah. that see that would be an energy thing if a group of people said we're in a bar let's do it i'd probably do it but on a zoom karaoke yeah probably not <laughs> you guys have started a new adventure together and i'm not entirely sure if it was pandemic born or not but it, it happened during the pandemic so tell us tell us a little bit about the new business so i'll start and then um <laughs> so the pandemic it was not a pandemic birth but but the pandemic was definitely the incubator it so <laughs> it certainly did so we had been yeah i've been in the transit industry for 28 years um and you know all in transit all working on accessible transit you know my whole kind of goal in life has been to make you know transportation better for people you know with disabilities um like me and thank you for that <laughs> um and it's hard i mean it is like really really hard and so yeah through the time that i've been in the industry i've learned a lot of things i've met a lot of people i i get through experience just i reached the point in my career when i'm in the upper yeah, kind of echelon of people that that work in the field in the area that I'm in. And so I had thought about the possibility of doing consulting for a long time. And I never had the courage because you give up a steady income, you have to build a business. There's all kinds of details. I don't like details. There's like paperwork and stuff. There's, it did not appeal. You actually have to and, file stuff. And be yeah, you have to yeah. like turn things into the government and all sorts of permits and who knows what all. And insurance. I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. Yeah, insurance. So we we started it back in May, about a year ago, actually. I incorporated the, the name and we just said, let's do it. We're sitting here at home. We're not that busy. The work I was doing for the company I was working for had slowed down because everything slowed down in the transportation sector. So we started it up and I was working on it sort of a little. We had a friend that we brought in who helped put a website together. So we were doing stuff, but it was going slow. And then on March 12th, the company that I was working for came to me and basically said, because of the pandemic, we're, we're out of transit. We're not going to be working in your field anymore, which means we don't need you, which means here's your severance, have a nice life. And wow. it was a little bit out of the blue, but a little bit expected. And so it was like, okay, I think life just made the decision. And I had been thinking about it because I knew it was, you know, things were getting bad. And I knew that something was going to give. And I, I just didn't have the courage to jump because secure a secure job. I mean, as a blind person, getting a job is super, super hard. And in the transit industry, in the pandemic, nothing was happening. And the idea of, of losing a job in a pandemic was frightening in the industry that I'm in. And I don't know how to do anything else. So it happened. And it was like, okay, I guess that's the decision. And so we dove in and got busy and, uh, and things are starting to move forward now. But, but yeah, that, that was really it. You know, the pandemic didn't birth it, but it definitely uh, made it grow. 
So Lisa, are you going to be the shepherder of all the forms and all the, you know, the behind the scenes, not fun work? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I always used to make fun of couples who worked in a business together. And I would say things like, don't they see each other enough? And I could never, you know, you have dinner and you go to bed every night with this person. You're going to work with them all day. And here we are. <laughs> um, but we, we have different uh, arms of what we do. Ron is working in the transportation consulting arm of it. And I have my little page. Um, uh, for most of my career, I've been an access technology instructor. Um, but then I got burned out on it once I stopped being excited about the latest and greatest and the newest updates. Um, I didn't want my lack of enthusiasm to affect any of the folks that I was teaching. So um, I, while that's been kind of like the main career that I've had in between that and when the kids were small, um, I worked in the field of transcription. And so my part of the business has to do with um, transcription, working, changing audio into text. And so that's, that's my arm of it. Um, and if I can share, because everybody has a story, I'll start with this story. When most folks, older folks will remember when Elvis Presley died and I was four at the time, and I remember watching TV. I don't even know what we were watching, but the news came on. And this was before they had like scrolling headlines. Yeah. And since my mom couldn't tell what was on TV, she was like, what's going on? And I remember being four years old telling my mom that Elvis Presley died, you know, because she couldn't hear the news. And she was raised at a time when um, you did everything you could to be normal. She was not taught American Sign Language. Um, because that was different. And so it was all about reading lips. And so um, if you think of words like bay and pay and could and good, when you're watching someone say those words, um, you know, they, they look very similar. And I, there's a statistic that I read somewhere that lip reading is about 70% accurate. And so, um, I remember because so much when, of it is contextual. Yeah, so much of it is contextual. And we can relate as blind people, right? Because look at how big a difference audio description has made for us. Yeah. Um, but we could, before we had audio description, we could guess a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and most of the time we could get what we need out of the dialogue. But when you're relying on that lip reading method for, you know, trying to figure out what your doctor is saying to, you know, what's going on on TV, it can be a little difficult. And so as a child, you know, sometimes my mom would take me with her to the doctor or something in case, you know, she needed someone to help her um, with understanding what was going on or whatever. And I remember as a kid, when we, for her birthday, um, we surprised her with the closed caption machine. And this was back in the day when you actually had to buy a machine that you hooked up to your TV. There wasn't the menu things where you could just put it on. You actually had to have a machine um, that you would hook up to the TV. And I just remember as a kid watching the transformation of how it was kind of like the before and the after and what a big difference that made for her because then she could actually watch the news herself and watch Oprah 
and you know watch shows on tv and there weren't very many back back then but there were a few and so when i do transcription work now i think having that context and having that history um i'd like to think that it makes me better at in terms of paying attention when i do that type of work um because even though she's passed on now i think of her i think of people who maybe English is not their first language and they use um, text as a way to learn English better, or maybe yeah. people with processing um, issues where they find reading works better for them than listening, or just for people who might want to skim information um, as opposed to, you know, listening to the whole thing or whatever it is. So anyway, that's my story. And that is why I do this particular arm of, of our business, um, working and, in the transcription field. And just back to the forms and all that, it's, it's really interesting. What, what, what Lisa does is she, in addition to transcription, you know, we talk, we make decisions, you know, together and in terms of your big decisions. I mean, I'm day to day, I'm kind of making decisions and doing things, but when there's money to be spent or there's a decision to be made or do we want to try to do this? Or when I picked up a contract that it, it, that has some responsibility tied to it or some travel or some significant workload, you know, we talk about those things. Um, as far as the forms and all that detail, I mean, we're still kind of learning our way through that. But the thing I, I said that one of the things I learned in the pandemic was just the necessity of just doing the work. And I, I don't like forms. I don't like details. I don't like deadlines. I don't like submitting things, but I've learned that that is, if I am a business owner and a, a, an entrepreneur, you take the good with the bad. And until I'm successful and we have enough money to hire people to do those things, then I have to do them or Lisa has to do them or we find someone. And so it's grow up time. And that has been really, really helpful to, for me to, to make me a better person in, in terms of being a better professional and a better entrepreneur. And if I take a job back for another company at some point in the future, I will be a better employee because I've now learned how to do things that I did not know how to do. And I've taught myself all sorts of new things um, because I had to, not because I wanted to. And sometimes that's how you sometimes you just have to do that. Yeah. Ron has always worked hard. I don't think I've ever seen him work as hard as he has this, this past, you know, couple of months, just all the different things, learning the, the calendar integration, something small like that to just trying to fill out these crazy forms. And there are lots of forms um, for small businesses. And um, he's just done an amazing job with really just running with it. Poverty is a good motivator. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely encourages you to work hard. So. So tell us about your arm of the business, Ron. So the overall emphasis of Accessible Avenue is to help transit agencies, cities, many of whom run transit, but they also have infrastructure like sidewalks, transit stops and stations, 
places where people walk and go, working with them and their contractors and suppliers to design and operate services that are more accessible for everybody and especially people with disabilities. Our company motto is where universal design meets mobility. And the idea is if if we can work with organizations to create service and environments that are universally accessible for all people, then we then we're all better off. And and I and I'll say that a sub part of what we're doing and, and what I'm really personally interested in is the idea that paratransit, which we all know and not love, yeah. should be on demand. We're as a society, we don't need service that we have to book a day in advance because nobody has to live a day in advance. And to think that people with disabilities should have to live a day in advance simply because, I, I mean, in the old days, it made sense because the technology wasn't very good and we didn't have GPS and on, we couldn't look at our phones and see where vehicles are. It kind of made sense, but now we, we don't need that anymore. We can, we should be able to call and get a, get a ride within a really reasonable period of time so we can live our lives like anybody else. And, you know, being a parent, um, we learned a lot about last minute projects and things that people forgot to mention. And -and Mm so-and-so is having a party tomorrow and we need a, a gift or we're out of milk. I didn't know we were out of milk, you know, that kind of thing. And people with disabilities, you know, we have all those same challenges and it's dumb in this day and age that we should have to book a trip a day in advance. So I'm really committed to the, to the idea that that's going to change. And so that's, so we're doing that work under this business as well. How close are, are we to that? Um, I, like you said, the technology exists. How close are we to, to making folks understand that that's something that would level the playing fields, bring, you know, bring what, um, you know, what the ADA and, and other pieces of legislation were meant for in the first place? Are, are we close? We're, we, the technology exists, the business models are evolving, but I would say that they are 80 to 90% there. The attitudes of the industry are the last hurdle because they are shaped by decades of doing it a certain way. They are shaped by fear that if paratransit is the most expensive service that agencies provide, they are terrified that if they make it better, many, many more people will use it and they won't be able to pay for it. They are shaped by the fact that the law doesn't require it and it's already expensive and there's no money for it. And most agencies don't have enough money anyway, because we spend money on really strange things like, you know, eight figure salaries for baseball players. I love baseball too, by the way, but eight figures to play baseball when somebody, you know, driving a bus or a paratransit van is, is making $40,000 a year. It might be something a little bit twisted about that. So I think until we're able to get past people's fear of doing more than the law requires when they don't see how they can possibly pull it off, that is the biggest challenge that we face. And one of the things that I'm trying to help the industry understand is 
there are ways to do this service that actually can cost the same as or less than what they currently are paying. And, and it's, it's the right thing to do. And we, we just need to make the jump and have faith that it'll work itself out. And that is a hard thing for people to do because people don't like change in the first place. And when they're afraid of the change, it's even tougher. So I'm sure some of the listeners out there are thinking, how do these two arms meet? And, and, you know, where is the intersectionality between Mm -hmm. the two? Yeah. So public agencies and cities have lots and lots of meetings and they have a need for lots of public involvement in projects. And those meetings are often recorded meetings. So they'll, they'll do them well for the last year and a half on a zoom call. And there are, there, there are records of the meetings that get created. So many agencies struggle with how to make that information available to uh, put it. Yeah, they, they have to create minutes. Uh, they have to post those things on their website. They have to create transcripts. If you're getting um, funding from a federal agency, you might have to Um, attach a summary of all the comments about a proposed project that you're trying to get funding for. So that the intersectionality is basically, this is a value add. If we can help you as an agency design your public, your infrastructure project or your transit system to be more accessible for people with disabilities, we can also help you with the public engagement, including how to make that public the record of that engagement more accessible. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of the intersection. Cool. And, and, and I should say, by the way, just real quickly, I should also say that we're not limiting ourselves to public meetings and that sort of thing. I mean, we're, you know, transcription is transcription and Lisa has transcribed everything from professors lectures to uh, seances. What else have you done? You've done, you've done some <laughs> Wait, seances. The seance was fascinating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that you never, I, I do a lot of freelance work for various companies as well. And so sometimes you, you just don't, it's a surprise. And the, the seance has been the most interesting <laughs> thing I've ever done. Usually it's podcasts or, uh, lectures, or sometimes I'll get a documentary or, um, I had, I had a cooking thing one time that was really fun, but I have to say the seance was the, the most unusual I've ever had. And were, were there, were there visits from the other side? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, <laughs> not in this particular one. Maybe, maybe he had a, a different experience some other day, but for this one, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just, I, I just would have to wonder, you know, <laughs> how would you then t- transcribe that visit? You know, let's call him person A is being. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I might tag the. I might tag it as spirit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. I digress. I can't help myself. Um, how can American Council of the Blind support you guys? Um, is there is there ways that we can support your work? I, I think I think one of the things that so there's there's direct ways. If you know of an organization that needs our help, refer them to us. If you are 
needing in need of transcription for, and like I said, we'll pretty much transcribe anything. Uh, if you need transcription for uh, a podcast that you want to take the text up so that you can turn it into a chapter in your book or, uh, you yeah, know, th- those sorts of things. I think that's kind of directly how you can help. I think indirectly, there's another way, and that's to really start to push your, you know, the places where you live to, to really reach out and seek to do more and to get out of the box of boring next day paratransit. And, and when they're designing projects for sidewalks or for transit centers or for city cityscapes where you know, there's like people coming together, they need to design those spaces to be accessible and and pushing them to engage with a company like ours so that we can help them do that in a way that works um, is more of an indirect way. Um, so I think those are kind of the things that, that come to mind. Uh, we're also doing a lot of talking to at least people in the autonomous vehicle space. Uh, that's a personal interest of mine uh, and really pushing every chance that you are out and about and you have an opportunity to advocate for, speak for, ask for transportation, whether it's a service or a technology or uh, a, um, a piece of infrastructure or a vehicle, pushing for that to be accessible and to be designed to, to incorporate the needs of people with disabilities, that is helping us because it's, it's basically encouraging organizations that are creating all that stuff to look for resources in the in the community that can help them design things correctly you know i i'm definitely an interesting case i came to blindness in new york city um i had been using public transportation all my life i drove and that's the one thing oh my god do i miss driving but again i'm digressing um, but I use public transportation just about every day, you know, from Staten Island to Manhattan and, and various other things. Um, when, you know, when I started using paratransit, it was just easier for me to continue using the public transportation for most things. But, you know, I thought, oh, my God, paratransit just sucks. I'm sorry, but that's the word. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It just sucks. And you know, I got to <laughs> Miami and I didn't know what the word suck even meant until I got here. Um, and it's gotten, it's gotten progressively worse since, you know, through the pandemic. And now that we're coming out of the pandemic, it's, it's a nightmare actually. But um, one thing that New York had instituted right as, as I was transitioning out was um, using Uber and Lyft in, mm-hmm. in, um, for various trips or, um, you know, certain situations. And I'm told that they're, they're piloting something now where they have same-day paratransit um, service. So is some of that going to go through companies like that? Yeah. I, so it, it's interesting. Uh, and without getting too, like, geeked out into the weeds, what I would say is there are the industry is still trying to figure out its relationship with companies like Uber and Lyft. Uh, Uber and Lyft are really, really, and right now they are, they also are challenged because when the pandemic happened, all, yeah. all their drivers left. So yeah. they're trying to get them back and demand is coming back and they don't have the drivers, but 
the, the industry is regulated fairly significantly around things like drivers that get background checks and, and substance abuse tests and training. And those are things that, that companies like Uber and Lyft are, they're not regulated and they don't want to be regulated. They see themselves as technology companies. So it's, it's, it's a relationship that is still being sorted out. Uh, we announced on our website, a company that we're partnering with right now called Userve, which is a, a, it's very similar to Uber and Lyft. It's a startup. It's been around for just a few years, but they actually are building a business based on the idea of the same approach that Uber and Lyft use, but with drivers who go through the certification that the FTA, that the transit administration requires so that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. You can have a service like an Uber, but you have it with drivers that meet all of the requirements that that companies like Uber and Lyft are hesitant to meet. So um, it's you know, so so what's happening right now, I think, is still kind of a sorting out. It's like what is the model ultimately going to look like? I personally believe that there is a place for services like Uber and Lyft and this new company that that I mentioned, Userve. But I think that what that ultimately looks like in terms of how it's regulated, uh, how it, how much training drivers get, how much care we're going to take around drug and alcohol testing and vehicle safety, I think those issues are still being sorted out. Well, I for one am glad you're, you know, I won't say on the ground up, but you're here, you know, as as the building's being built, so to speak. Um, Byron, let's take a hand check real quick before I ask any other questions because we are coming to the close of the show. All right. Uh, I do see uh, Margie has her hand up. So let's uh, unmute Margie and uh, Margie, you can go ahead and speak. Hello, Margie. There we go. Now we hear you. Now can you find me? We can. I can hear you all the way down in Arizona, Margie. Oh, shut up, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. So. Um, yeah, 30-something years. Um, so I love this show. And one of my most favorite couples in the world is Ron and Lisa. And I'm not the host of this show. But I do want to say we got a little deviated on paratransit and Ron's work. I know some things about them that I would like to hear them share. And one is how did they meet? And two is how did Ron propose? Well, Margie, I'm actually going to tell you to go to the Sunday edition archives. And I cannot remember the date, but um, it was around this time last year you can find um, on the second couples edition that I did, you can find Ron and Lisa there for those oh. questions. Any, okay. Anything else do you want to um, The wanna only say? other topic I think would be interesting for some people who are parents and maybe new to blindness is about raising their three children. And I have to say for the record, Anthony. Yes. I recommended to Ron that he does not ask Lisa out. And this is a one time and the only time I'm glad that Ron never listened to me. <laughs> although although i have to say she actually changed because so I'll, I'll i'll share this much at the time initially margie was you know, margie didn't i don't think margie knew lisa very well 
She knew it's me pretty well. Because Ron robbed the cradle and I'm a young kid. She's a little younger than me, and <laughs> and Margie knew what kind of a scoundrel I was. So I think she was concerned for Lisa's safety. And anyway, but but once we were together, I had I was nervous, and Margie was like my closest friend, and I was nervous about our age difference. And it wasn't that much, but when you're like 25, you know, five years is a big deal. Uh, And Margie's attitude was like, just have fun and stop worrying so much. It'll sort itself out. So she started kind of in an, "Eh, I don't know about you, but I think once she saw that I was actually truly smitten, she's just like, stop worrying so much. So, so yeah, Margie um, has been around. She's seen me at my best and my worst and, and, uh, you know, we've known each other a long time, but, um, and, and we'll pay you not to tell everything that you are aware of, because that would not be good. But, um, <laughs> but actually, I will say- I'm not sure if we actually answered the proposed question. I don't think we got that one, but um, so I, don't, I don't know if we actually answered it back then. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I don't think we actually did, but- All right, let's go for it then. We'll just do it quick. Lisa, you want to cover how we, how we met, then I'll cover the proposal. Yeah, why don't you start and I'll just add in. All right. So it took us three times. We met three times before it took. Um, and the first time we met was at, a, at the San Francisco Lighthouse. And we were in line together. Um, she was in front of me or behind me. And I was. I remember this. Yes. Yeah. I was <laughs> yeah, commenting yeah. on Thermoform. And then the second time was at, a, at an event where I was at BART. And then the third time was I was speaking on behalf of ACB or CCB actually at an event, at an event that she was at. Um, so I'll, I'll go quick since it, I think we did probably talk about that, but the proposal um, was in a limousine and I did it the old fashioned way. I bought the ring in advance. I made sure I had a return policy in case she said no. Um, <laughs> I made sure there was a bottle of champagne, which I swigged about half of it before I actually asked her. And we were on our way to breakfast at a really, really nice place. And I um, had a had written a little Braille letter that I could read to her. And and um, I proposed Aww. to her that way. So, yeah, she yeah. my favorite part of this is that I made him ask me three times yep. because I knew I was going to say yes. And I knew it was the only proposal that I was going to get. So I made him ask me three times in a row good for you like could you just repeat that one more time <laughs> she, and, and you let's turn around the next day and say no <laughs> no and let's be clear she she would have gotten 30 proposals but i just want to make sure that nobody else got the chance so <laughs> well we have just about a minute and a half left so why don't um why don't the two of you tell each other what it's meant to be together during the pandemic and starting this business together so that we can all voyeuristically listen in. (laughs) I would say that being together during the pandemic, there's there's so many people that suffered through the pandemic for various reasons. Either Either they got sick, they lost people, they lost jobs, they lost, and we had our challenges, but it all felt, I mean, to honestly, the, the benefit of being home and being with Lisa, you know, being with you and getting to go through all of this together and reimagine our lives together and start this thing. Um, first off, there's nobody else I'd rather do it with. And 
and second, it's just, it's been magical to be home as much and um, to, to, to really redefine so many things in our, in our space. Um, it's been just awesome. So. I think, you know, we're, we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary in July. And so, oh. you know, the, the pandemic, um, you know, you hear stories about, you know, couples not getting along or people spending so much time together that they're, you know, there's abuse or anger or this and that, um, arguments and things. And, you know, it, that, that really didn't happen for us because I think, you know, we've, we've had ups and downs in our relationship. I mean, 25 years is, a, is, you know, you're spending a lot of your time with a particular person and you both have grown and changed throughout the years. He's seen me at my best. He's seen me at my worst. Uh, there was a time we went to a marriage counselor. So, you know, we've had winter as far as a season of, of, of hard times yeah. in a relationship. And I think that the, the pandemic um, didn't really change much for us other than to help us just appreciate the opportunity to be together. And frankly, I, I've been spoiled through it because it's probably the longest, one of the longest stretch stretches in our relationship that he's been home, you know, because he didn't have to travel to go to a conference or this and that. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, awesome. think, I think the fact that he's traveling again, you know, that that's, that's That'll be the be challenge. Different the challenge. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's the best way to take out a Sunday edition. I'll be back next Sunday with a great show. Lisa, Ron, Judy, Steve, thank you so much. This was an excellent show. We'll be back next thank, week. Thank you, thank Anthony. You. Thank you. Really thank you, Ron and Lisa. Thanks. Thanks, Steve and Judy. And happy anniversary, you guys. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.